Hi, and welcome to the FBCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We're coming to you today from the beautiful campus of Flathead Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Well, in the Nature Journal, we focus on the critters and quirks of nature found on the campus and wide surrounding Flathead Basin and all across Montana. Our producer is Colin Burkhart, an employee here at FECC Library, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Now today we're going to talk about West Slope cutthroat trout in Glacier National Park, and we welcome Clint Malfeld to the show today. Clint, thanks a lot for coming on. Great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. And you know, you and I go back a long ways, and what I like to call you is the cutthroat evangelist, Clint, because <laughs> I, I remember you and I recorded a radio show about, I don't know how long ago, and your eyes were big, and you were just so passionate. You were a young, you know, young guy young. just coming on. I was a young buck then, yeah. And I, I really recognized a difference in you, and I thought, this guy is going to be very science-oriented. And you went on to become this high-powered scientist now from the management field. So, Clint, you're a research aquatic ecologist for the USGS Northern Rocky Mountain Science Center. So even though you're stationed in Glacier, you don't actually work for Glacier, right? No, I'm stationed in Glacier, but our science center is on the Bozeman campus, but I work throughout the Northern Rockies. Oh, you got the best of all worlds, and yeah. I know you're an associate research professor at the University of Montana Flathead Lake Biological Station also. Do you teach there? Do you teach courses? I do, but I, I mostly just uh, mentor graduate students that's oh, okay. working on various aspects of my research program. Oh, that sounds like fun. And so a lot of your studies have included impacts of invasive species on native fish, assessing life history, genetic diversity of uh, native salmonids, which are a trout family, and climate change. And we'll get into some of that. But we're really going to talk about West Slope cutthroat today. And let me just ask you before we get started, why, why are you so interested in West Slope cutthroat? Well, I'm interested in West Slopes uh, mostly because they're a native fish to Montana. They've been here for about 13,000 years and surviving mm -hmm. cataclysmic occurrences like glaciation, flooding, wildfire, drought, you name it that species has persisted in Montana waters for thousands of years. Yeah, it's pretty neat, isn't it? And, it's, and think about it in, in this, our part of Montana, probably 10,000 years since the last glaciation period, right? And we've had these, a similar migratory West Slope cutthroat from Flathead Lake. Is that about right? Absolutely. And that life history diversity is still here on the landscape. So it's a fascinating natural experiment, you know, to look at all these threats, how they're playing out, and how these cutthroat have persisted for so long in these waters. So we'll go back and look a little bit at the background on Lewis and Clark first described the cutthroat at the falls of the Missouri, and he called them a very, it was Meriwether Lewis, and he called it a very fine fish with dashes of red under the chin. <laughs> and I remember they ate some that they had caught there, and yep. they were catching 16 to 20 inch yep. West Slope cutthroat, and they're still, their descendants are still around. But it's one of the two subspecies of native cutthroat found in, in Montana. The cutthroat, of course, the Yellowstone cutthroat and the West Slope cutthroat. And together, they're the Montana state fish. So that's considered together. And in 1977, they were designated as Montana state fish. And Art Whitney, who, I don't know if you, Art Whitney was, was current to me, but he might have been a little before, a little before your time. before my time, yeah. He, he testified to the legislature and he said, Montanans as a people are striving for a quality life already lost in many parts of this nation. Naming the black-spotted cutthroat trout as Montana State Fish will be just another indication that the people in this state will settle for nothing but the very best and protecting Montana's way of life all are dedicated to preserving. And so that was a, made a big difference with the legislature, and they went ahead and did that. Now, 
Tell us a little bit, Clint, about the glacial history of Glacier Park, just in a nutshell, and how that's tied in with the cutthroat distribution that's there now. Well, first of all, it's really cool that their scientific name is Uncrinkus Clarki Lewisii. Yeah. So what you just described, John, goes way back, and it's it's now uh, it's now their formal name, and it's Montana right. State Fish. And and like I said before, they have survived uh, for a long period of time, and most recently the retreat of the Wisconsin glaciers about, you know, 10,000 to 13,000 years ago. And they were in Flathead Lake during these, you know, periods of, of warming and glaciation. And that life history diversity enabled them to track those glaciers as they receded. And they founded all these populations within these deep glacial, glacially carved lakes in Glacier National Park and the river and lake system. So now today, what you see is this open habitat from these small tributaries and headwater streams to these main stem rivers, to these deep glacially carved lakes. West Slope occupied all those kind of habitat. And you know, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting, the, the, uh, the history of Glacial Lake Missoula. And I ha actually had, Dave Alt is kind of the, was kind of the expert on that and wrote the book on it. I had him for geology in 1973 at University of Montana, and he used to give this great lecture about rain splash, sheet wash, erosion, and he was just a terrific teacher, but he became kind of an expert on Glacial Lake Missoula, and it, it filled and emptied a number of times, yeah. right? Yeah. And those fish were able to survive that, well, along with the bull trout, of course. So anyway, what about Glacier Park itself? What are some of the things there that we think of when we're looking at the distribution of where the cutthroat are now? In Glacier. Well, um, Glacier is actually considered one of the strongholds uh, for cutthroat trout range-wide, and in particular, uh, the lake-dwelling form. So, as I just said, you know, Glacier Park has the deep glacially carved lakes, and so cutthroat have adapted to really do well in those environments. So, they're distributed west of the Continental Divide in the Upper Columbia and the Flathead System. You go east of the Continental Divide, they're in the South Saskatchewan that flows into the Hudson River, and as well as the Missouri that flows uh, down to the Mississippi and out to the Atlantic Ocean. So they occupy these three major river drainages that are, you know, originate in Glacier National Park. And you said that there was a couple of streams where there's pure West Slope cutthroat that were probably, I mean, they're the direct ancestors of the cutthroat that Lewis and Clark saw in the Missouri. You said there was a couple streams on the east side there that still had pure fish, right? Yeah, right near East Glacier. The uh, two that we've identified through uh, genetic assessments are uh, Two Dog as well as um, Midvale Creek, uh, right near East Glacier. You know, that's crazy because my great aunt actually lived right along Midvale Creek when she worked for Glacier National Park. Okay. I don't know if they ever fished it, but if they did, they would have caught pure West Slope yep. cutthroat. <laughs> At that time, they were dumping brook trout into all those streams yep. too, like Bear Creek and all that. So anyway, you've worked a lot with hybridization of cutthroat. And tell us a few things you've learned working with the... Yeah, so we were, I was here back in the early 90s uh, leading a research effort. I worked for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, actually. And we started finding these hybrid-looking fish, these fish that didn't look like a pure rainbow, didn't look like a pure cutthroat, but they started showing up in our river samples. So we tried to figure out where they were coming from. We inserted transmitters in their body cavities, tracked them back to these areas, and started documenting this increase in hybridization in the system. And you said that there was a big difference between the hybrids and the pure fish in terms of their behavior or vitality. Well, how does that work? Yeah, so we started doing genetic mapping of the entire system, and we identified these streams that were kind of on the front of the hybridization spread. And so we started looking into 
what was going on with the dynamics within those streams. Were hybrids more fit or less fit than their parents? And what we found doing like a pedigree analysis, much like you would for a human or bears, we were able to look at the reproductive success of the moms and dads in the population and how many young they were producing. And lo and behold, we found that the hybrids, as you increase the amount of rainbow trout genes in individual fish, you see a marked decline in fitness, or in this case, reproductive success. So that's not a good thing for the production and persistence of cutthroat trout. Right. Now, that's that's amazing. And Now, you've done a lot of work across Glacier in some of these higher lakes and that kind of thing. Tell us about the situation now with it. I know that it's just kind of getting underway or not very far along with we're trying to reclaim native cutthroat in the trout lake drainage. And I know you work somewhat with uh, with Chris on that and so on. But tell us about what's going on there. I know you were doing some of the genetic testing anyway. Yeah, so based on that genetic mapping project that I just described, we identified areas that were threatened by invasive hybridization, in this case with Yellowstone cutthroat trout. So in the case of Evangeline and Camas, which are these headwater lakes in the Trout Creek drainage, they held Yellowstone cutthroat trout. Yellowstone aren't native to this area. Right. So based on that, those genetic results, the managers decided that they would eliminate those threats and restore native cutthroat trout to those systems. Yeah. And you know, funny thing, you probably, you may not know this, but when I was involved with American Fishery Society, in the late 80s, we had our, actually our summer workshop at Granite Park Chalet. And I was trying to convince Leo to do, Leo Marnell, who was yeah, a biologist, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to convince him to consider rehabilitating Hidden Lake. Okay. You know, where all yep. those Yellowstone cutthroat yep. were, and they, they eventually said, we're not touching that with a 10-foot no. pole. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be very pr- uh, that wouldn't be very practical, would it? There's some really nice fish in there, and luckily they're way up the drainage above these barrier falls, so they're really not that great of a threat to those downstream mm-hmm. populations. So, so you don't think they're contributing to any, any of the hybridization? I, we haven't also. seen it in our data, yeah. Tell us a little, a little bit more about the east side streams. You said there were seven that had sort of compromise. Yeah, so when we we did the, this, the first park-wide genetic assessment of Glacier National Park, we found dramatic or contrasting differences west and east of the divide. Like I said before, west of the divide, we still had cutthroat trout. They inhabited a broad variety of habitats. We found a lot of genetically pure populations still residing in the system. We found a lot of life history diversity. These fish are migratory. They come from Flathead Lake, go all the way upstream and spawn in Glacier National Park. We had some fish that stay in the rivers, others that stay in their natal streams their entire lives. So we still had that genetic and that life history diversity west of the divide, but hybridization was spreading upstream and, you know, threatening those populations. You go east of the continental divide, though, it's a total different situation. In the South Saskatchewan and the Missouri, we found just a couple, a total of nine conservation populations that are highly isolated. Hmm. So they're, they're, they're barely hanging on in these fragmented headwater streams. Um, and so that diversity, like I just explained, it occurs west of the divide, really wasn't, it's not prevalent anymore east of oh, the divide. Darn. And, you know, you talked, we just talked briefly about genetic refugia. We just have a minute to go here. What do, you, what do you see as genetic refugia being as a, as a tool as we approach all, all the climate change issues you've been working with? Yeah, so to recover cutthroat trout, it's going to require a diverse array of management strategies. Um, east of the divide, what we're doing now is going in and looking at how many fish are out there, what's their genetic status, and we're actually going to start 
replicating fish. So we're going to go into these last remaining populations and start spawning them, replicating them, and refounding them to their historical distributions uh, while eliminating threats like brook trout or rainbow trout downstream. The park managers are also looking at other opportunities above natural barriers where they can actually put fish or introduce them into new habitats to create some genetic and life history diversity so future generations have something left um, to enjoy cutthroat trout or Montana state fish. Now, I know you've been involved heavily with climate change, and we aren't going to have time to really get into it, but give me a few sentences on what you see as the future of cutthroat trout in northwest Montana and Glacier Park. Well, I think the future is really bright because we've learned a lot. We've started at a very local scale of management, and now managers, we've attained a lot of information over time. And there's been a lot of management actions that have occurred on the ground. Now managers are actually thinking more broadly bigger picture, big landscape level restoration and conservation efforts. So I believe that, you know, Montana biologists, researchers, managers, we're on the cutting edge of, of doing conservation biology to restore cutthroat trout. And I think the future's bright. Great. That's great, Clint. Now, you have a couple kids. I remember having them in fish dissection class. How old are your kids now? 17 and 15. Is that right? Yeah, I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah, it's crazy. Are either one of them going to follow in your footsteps into aquatic science? Uh, interesting. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. My son, as you know, is a, works for the Wildlife Conservation Society in Alaska, so he followed in the aquatic ecology footsteps, so I was proud of him. But I, I don't know. I think it was your, your daughter that I had in the fish dissection class, but that was she was really little then. She really likes animals. We'll see how it goes. Well, Clint, um, thanks a lot yeah. so much for coming on. Yeah. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next week.